Okay, this is Hebrews 2020. Once again, Jim and I are both at the Alamo here in New Kensington. And this is increment 46. X enos pantes. From Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11. Make that 2.10 and 11. Before we get started with our message today, a couple of I don't want to call them announcements, but some information. You'll notice that on our website, we are advertising only online services, online messages. And I'm not sure if everyone, at least in the Telestai Phalanx, that's our local church, all are welcome to hear these messages, but... I'm not sure if our local church is entirely understanding of what we're doing and why we're remaining in absentia. First of all, in Philippians 2.12, it is all the more important to practice obedience and adherence to the word of God, the scriptures, in absence from one another. As Paul said, all the more important is it in my absence from you to... Be obedient, that is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that God has ordained this indefinite period of absence from one another because it is a more important time than if we were present with one another for many reasons. One, we've already discussed, it's a time that we can gather in a spiritual way, in the Holy of Holies, as Hebrews ten nineteen and following indicates. It's a time when we can devote ourselves as never before to prayer and the word. There's a reason why I'm teaching these messages from Hebrews. It's so that we see Jesus, so that we can be available to God in his vertical causation in us to be able to be occupied with his son, to have our mind stayed on him, not to be distracted by the multitudinous distractions of our time. As far as this virus goes, I believe that, and this is my personal opinion only, this is not a, an official conviction of Tetelestai Phalanx, nor is it an official so-called Christian conviction, But I believe that this virus has been politically manipulated for reasons that people use it for the purpose of grabbing political power. And I believe that there's been a whole lot of disinformation circulating about it, undue fears, undue anxieties. At the same time, I believe that it is a serious pandemic and that we should follow guidelines for safety, especially not just to preserve our own health and lives, but to preserve the well-being of others. It's not the reason why we're not meeting here, although we will for the time being, and maybe until the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who knows? I don't know. We will be rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but all the more importantly, rendering to God the things that belong to God. I'm not going to be one of those pastors that gets riled up by political activists on the left or the right. 
And I'm going to simply go by the guidelines of the state of Pennsylvania and by local guidelines. And that means for us that it really isn't reasonable on one level to meet until we can meet without a lot of restrictions. That's on a practical level, and that's on a reasonable level. But on a spiritual level, it is important that we continue in absentia, in a time of absence. We live in a time in which it is easy to be present often together, unlike the times of Paul, the apostle, and the apostles themselves in the book of Acts. Paul oftentimes spoke about wintering in one place, coming to visit in another time, because of the difficulties in travels. Well, we have been afforded an opportunity to remain in absentia. I know that some of you understand this and have grasped the importance of this. In fact, the majority of the people in our local assembly have. And again, this may not be for you because you may not be a member of this assembly and we're certainly not going to try to get you to be a member. We're not proselytizing, never have, never will. And if I've ever done anything about inviting people to this church, I've probably invited a few to leave and hardly ever invited anyone to come. It's a matter of divine direction. And so we are remaining in absentia indefinitely. And that means that probably... Clearly, you'll see through the month of August, everything will be merely online. Now, if you're anxious to be together with other believers, then go to be together with other believers. I'm sure there are uh, many assemblies where you can attend, and that's, you know, the body of Christ is everywhere. But for now, we're continuing as we have been, and it's not primarily because of government regulations. It's not primarily because of the fear of a virus or because of panic in a pandemic. It's because of reasons that I think are found in the Bible, that are found in the scriptures. And if you happen to be part of Tetelestai Phalanx, that's my affectionate term for our local church, and if you're in the spirit of what I think as a pastor, the Lord is doing at this time in our church, you understand this. If not, you may not understand it, but I hope you understand it better now. So we're continuing in the word of God. And we're continuing in a line upon line study of Hebrews. I'm also not quite certain how many people are really impressed with the importance, not of my teaching but of this document called Hebrews. Sometimes conversations reveal where people are, and there, there's a lot of people who are scattered in their brains all over the place. I am not one who is going to entertain schemes of prophecy that are outside of the scriptures and that come from the vain imaginings of people. I'm not going to consider the time of the so-called rapture I'm not going to consider, is the Antichrist going to rise from this place or that place or this place or that place? I'm considering Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm 
very concerned that the body of Christ, at least that part, that tiny part that may hear my voice in teaching, will occupy their minds with Jesus Christ. One rendition of Acts of Isaiah 26.3, and there are many renditions or translations or interpretations, says that God keeps in perfect peace those whose trustful minds are set on him. And Hebrews has a lot to say to us. I'm personally grounded and founded and occupied with Jesus Christ as he is manifested in this particular document. And so if I don't reply to some of your questions or some of your documents that you send me, and I appreciate them, especially the ones that have to do with Hebrews, don't get me wrong. And if you send me things, but if you send me things about making me speculate about prophetic schemes and when Jesus is coming and when the Antichrist is rising, you don't even understand about about the Antichrist and about the plans of God and about the AD 70 trajectory of the New Testament and about the fact that your decisions now are helping to write a new act in the book of Acts as you can continue in the word. And so I'm not, I, as Paul said, I'm pretty concerned about some of you, not all of you. The majority of the people that I consider to be in this assembly who have made some kind of gesture toward being a part of this particular assembly are doing very well. And I hope that I'm able to know the state of the flock in general. But we are going to continue, and so I hope you'll accept this, basically, announcement today over rumors. There's a lot of disinformation floating around today. There is a lot of Marxist-style, revolutionary stuff that's using heartfelt, falsely heartfelt rumors, falsely heartfelt slogans, and there's a lot of overthrow occurring within this nation that is extremely evil and it's intended to overthrow all established institutions which protect freedom, including the nuclear family, as it's called. And so we're living in very perilous times that are outlined in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, and then again in 10 through 16, we should pay attention to that too. And also 1 Timothy 4, 1 and following. We're living in perilous times. We're living in times when disinformation is being listened to rather than the information that is true power, and that's the word of God. And so I hope your attentiveness is drawn away from all else to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The audience that you ought to pay attention to is not the social media audience or the news media audience. You better recognize, as I should, that we're running a race in a stadium and our audience is heroes of faith from past generations. And most of all, 
the Lord Jesus Christ himself is our audience. The one who stood at Stephen's death. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit are our audience. And so we run this race with perseverance. Laying aside every kind of weight that holds us down. And we move forward in faith, in trust. Only believe and you will be established. Continue in faith in Acts 14.22. Continue in the grace of God in Acts 13.43 and Acts 20.32 and 2 Peter 3.18. And be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus in 2 Timothy 2.1. And do not receive it in vain. Receive it unto progress, unto perfection, unto completion, unto the full formation of Christ Jesus in you. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. That's why God has ordained the things that are happening right now in this country. It's not a perfect storm. It's a perfect opportunity to come to know his son in a perilous time and to redeem the time because the days are extraordinarily pernicious and evil. And there's a whole generation of people that have neglected the teaching of the word of God that are caught up in movements that they have no understanding of, that they are completely naive about. And it's leading them to their own destruction. And so we live in perilous times. We live in a time of self-absorption rather than love for God. We live in a time, again, list the list of events. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And then again in 6 through 9, and then again in 10 through 14. We live in times that are outlined there. Okay, I guess I've taken half the message already in an exhortation. And uh, it's kind of an extemporaneous one, or you might even call it spontaneous. Someday, the teaching that I do may fly off from prepared teachings like the ones I've been giving in Hebrews. And they may be of a spontaneous preaching kind of communication. And that will be because the times require it and God demands it. All right. But for now, Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity to continue line upon line, here a little, there a little, increment upon increment. And we thank you for the privilege of being absent from one another, that we may be very present to you, for you are a very present help to us in this time, and we're thankful for that. May we comprehend and understand your purpose for this present season, which may continue for a long time, a long duration, or may be curtailed quicker than we think. We don't know. But we do know this, that you are our God, and happy is the people whose God is the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we commit ourselves to you, Father, entrusting our spirit to you, committing our soul to you, a faithful creator, giving our heart to you that we may be taught by you, especially to love one another, as 1 Thessalonians 4.9 says. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, 
begins a paragraph fresh from the homiletical midrash of Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, a paragraph we basically just completed. And that midrash is essentially a Christological commentary on the Septuagint of Psalm 8, 5 through 7, which in your English Bibles probably appears as Psalm 8, 4 through 6. That midrash culminated with Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of a death in which he tasted death, the wages of sin, for everyone. Now, that's a hell of a lot more important then when's the rapture going to be? Because the rapture, as you call it, ain't going to be at all. The Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven to those who are waiting for him, and he will set up the Father's kingdom on earth. This is the Jesus whom we see already with everything under his feet in future worlds. Now, though Hebrews 2.9 does not mention the cross, as Philippians 2.8 does. Hebrews 12.2 does mention and it speaks explicitly of Jesus enduring the cross, despising the shame. Now, that little word, despising the shame, that little phrase becomes extraordinarily important in a time of social media, in a time of cancellation, in a time of criticism and judgmentalism in a time when people are afraid to express their own views out of fear that they'll be ostracized, criticized, maligned, or even violently attacked. Despising the shame is a theme that's going to come forth, a practical theme, an exhortational theme that's going to come forth with great power and application in Hebrews. So stay with it if you want to. You don't, you don't have to stay with the word, but I just happen to have an urgency and a passion that goes along with my calling. And so I'm not going to be apologetic for it. I'm not going to be apologetic for following the word. I'm not going to be apologetic for teaching the word as I see it in the scriptures under the power of the Holy Spirit for such a time as this. I will not be distracted And there's a million ways that the enemy of our spiritual progress wants to distract us, believe me. And I'll tell you this, when you're serving in the realm of communication of the word, those distractions multiply. The thought tests multiply. And it's only by the grace of God that we are what we are. It's only by the grace of God that we do what we do. And it's only, as Jesus said, up to now my Father works and so I work. We can only work effectively as God works effectively in us. We can't get ahead of him. We can't get behind him. We can't go to the left or the right. We have to keep our eyes right on and see and view and be occupied with Jesus Christ our Lord. One day you're going to see him with your resurrected physical eyes. And you're going to be like him for you're going to see him as he is. So for now, the best thing you and I can do is to allow God to bring into focus Jesus Christ to the eyes of our heart and to look away 
from everything else. Look away from, that doesn't mean don't be aware of things. We are aware, sometimes intensely aware of historical trends and current trends and news and other things. But our focus, our radical focus has to be on Jesus. And every increment of Hebrews that is coming forth from this pulpit at this time in absentia from one another, every increment is another lens dropped by the optometrist, the Holy Spirit, another lens that he can say, do you see clearer now through this lens? Do you see Jesus more clearly through this lens? He drops another lens with every increment, with every increment, another lens. It's as if Jesus himself is here putting his thumbs in our eyes with the mud that is made from the earth and his spit. And he says, do you see now? Do you see more clearly now? Do you see more clearly? Do you see all people clearly as the objects of a divine love? Do you see all people clearly, everything clearly, as the object of God's redemptive grace and kindness through Christ Jesus? If you don't see it all clearly, then you better keep on continuing in the word. And if you do see it all clearly, then you better keep on continuing in the word of God because God has insights for you that you will not even believe if they came forth today, they would stagger you backwards on your heels. Now, I can see I'm not going to get through my prepared message today. To see Jesus is an act of vertical causation. I can't make you see him. Nobody can make you see him. A pope can't make you see him. A monsignor or a bishop can't make you see him. Not even a cardinal can make you see him. Not even a St. Louis cardinal. A preacher, an evangelist, a televangelist, a megachurch pastor can't make you see him. It's a vertical act of causation from God because no man knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father and anyone whom the Father wills to reveal the Son. We see Jesus is an act of vertical causation in which we perceive, listen carefully, in which we perceive Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, in his universally saving significance. We see the one whose death was the death of the cross. The death of the cross. Not just any old crucifixion on any old cross. And there were hundreds of thousands of them in the Roman era. The unique death of the unique cross of the unique person, Jesus, God and man in one person, a death in which he tasted and experienced death for everyone by the grace of God. And he experienced it in an experience in which he was far from God. 
in which he was lost, in which he was dead, in which he became sin and became a curse. And I am more and more despising of theological systems that want to shrink away from the fact that Jesus suffered extraordinarily on the cross. The reason they don't like that is because they themselves are trying to preserve themselves from the necessary suffering that's required in this world to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And there's a whole lot of people that call themselves universalists, and they're afraid of words like substitution or penal substitution. They're afraid of words like propitiation. They're afraid of words like wrath. They're afraid of the sufferings of Jesus Christ on the cross. What he endured. Because they're afraid of the sufferings that are a gift of God to us on our way to being complete in him in terms of having him fully formed in us. That means that we're going to suffer the loss of all things, and that all things means the loss of our own self-righteousness. To me, that's no longer a suffering. Good riddance to self-righteousness. But if you're self-righteous, it hurts like hell to suffer the loss of your self-righteousness. Unless your righteousness exceeds the kind of righteousness that people pat themselves on the back for today, you'll in no way ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless my righteousness and yours exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees of our time, the self-righteous, there's no way we'll enter the kingdom of heaven in this age. There's no way we'll experience the such a great salvation that was wrought for us. There's no way we can experience a kingdom that Jesus said, you must humble yourselves and be like a little child to enter into it, or you don't even enter into it. Humility lost on this generation largely. Don't let it be lost on you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will raise you up in due season. Exalt yourselves, and you will be brought down, and it will hurt. As Obadiah said, you can place your throne among the stars of the heavens, and from thence I will bring you down. Pride, 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 provocative pride, the kind of pride that provokes others. Angers others, pushes others into reaction. Don't fall for that either. Only by pride comes contention. Contention is the only fruit of pride. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of the Spirit is a thing called macrothumia, long suffering. God's love itself is a suffering kind of love, as we're going to see as we move down the track here a little bit. 
And again, this t- today, I'm allowing, well, <laughs> I can't say I allow, the Holy Spirit's the boss here. Today, I'm moving in a sphere of exhortation when I had planned a message of exposition. Go figure. So all I'm going to talk about is a couple more things today. Then, To see Jesus. is an act of vertical causation in which we perceive Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world, as he's called, the Son of God, in his universally saving significance. We see the one whose death was the death of the cross. That death of that cross is, here's some R's for you, not reading, writing, and arithmetic. That Death of the cross was a representative, redemptive, reconciling, rectifying death with universal ramifications. A representative, redemptive, reconciling, rectifying, that's setting things right. A correcting, we could say, in Hebrews 9, 10, and 11. A rectifying death with universal ramifications. Jesus' glorious coronation, and we finished our Corona series with increment 44 a couple times ago. Jesus' glorious coronation is the indication of his perfection through suffering. The perfection of the Son through suffering means that Jesus now appears in glory, not for himself, but for you, for me, for us, for all. Hebrews 9:24. He makes intercession for us to save us to the ultimate degree, the maximum degree. And that degree is to the point of a transconfiguration of these bodies into a body of glory that he now lives in. And this is something he does by the power, the omnipotent power, by which he subjects all things to himself, all things to himself, everything to himself. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. So yes, I'm waiting for him to come from heaven. Not to rapture a few lottery winners out of this place. No, he is coming to change the bodies of our humiliation, our current humiliation, into bodies of glory like his own. And he does this as he subjects everything to himself. He's coming to stay. He's coming to transform this earth to transfigure all creation, to make all things new for eternal life, 
to reverse the trend of entropy in the universe and make it the glorious universe that God always intended it to be. And so the mystery of his will is to sum up everything, tapanta, everything in Christ, in the Savior of the world, in Jesus with his universally saving significance. His glory is your destiny. His glory is our destiny. For as many as God justifies or rectifies, he also glorifies. And the aorist tense there, it means that it's a done deal. As many as he justifies. Well, who are the many whom he justifies? How about Romans 5.18? How about where Romans 5.18 says that justification comes to all in Adam who die, all in Christ are made alive. Justification, rectification, reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling a few elect people to himself. Wrong! God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he's made us ambassadors. If you are calling yourself a preacher, a megachurch pastor, a Pentecostal pastor, a charismatic pastor, a Baptist pastor, a Catholic priest, a Catholic pastor, a Catholic cardinal, a Protestant bishop, you call yourself all these things. You may call yourself doctor. You may call yourself Dear old Dr. So-and-so, you may call yourself, as one idiot on TV recently called himself, a prophet or an apostle. And he isn't at all because I listened to him for five minutes and he betrayed the fact that he's nothing of the kind. You may call yourself a lot of different things. But if you're not an ambassador with the message of the reconciliation of the world that God wrought in Christ, you are not serving him. But your own belly, your own pride, your own self-righteousness, your own filthy lucre, which is your salary that you're afraid to lose if you step up and preach Christ as the universally saving, significant Savior that he is. Why don't you just say, Dr. Gutless, Monsignor, I don't even want to say the word, but Lacking in something. Stones. Well, even the stones can be raised up to praise the Lord. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you, pastor so-and-so, and reverend so-and-so else. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't even need Balaam's ass to speak for him. Nor does he need the jawbone of an ass which is the jawbone of every preacher that preaches against the saving significance of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need you. I rejoice in the fact that he sure does not need me, but he poured his grace out and I didn't receive it in vain and I'm in this pulpit because of his grace and I'll die in his grace as I live in his grace. And I commit you to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to make you capacitated inside to receive an inheritance that by 
boggles the imagination. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Poets have never written about it, no matter how fertile their imagination. Songwriters have never written about it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it ever even entered into the imagination of humankind the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And those who love him are those who keep his word. In them who keep his word, the love of God is perfected. So be perfect as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect because his love is perfect for all, not just your clique. Not just your political party, not just your hang around people, not just your social media friends who like you. And why do you even give a damn who likes you? Why do you even care who likes your posts? When the Bible talks about despising the shame, you know what that means? It means that when Jesus was crucified, he didn't think much about what people thought of him. That people thought of him in his disgrace, hanging there naked on a tree. If he thought about what people thought about him, he wouldn't be crucified for you. He wouldn't have died for you. He despised the shame. He thought very little of it. And you know what Paul said to his generation, to the Corinthians, who were carnal through and through and didn't understand Jesus Christ's saving significance. You know what Paul said to them? There's a lot of things in my life, he said, in 1 Corinthians 4, 3. And you know what he said? The smallest thing I can think of in my life is the thought that I'm judged by you. Imagine that. I'd like to write that on a post, but I don't even have a Facebook or whatever it is. If I did, I'd write this. I find it the smallest thing in my life is caring about what you think of me. Wow. I don't seek glory from men, Jesus said. I seek my father's glory. I seek my father's acceptance. I seek my father's approval. We labor to find his approval, says 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul went on to say, nor do I care about anything in terms of human judgment. This is the day when men and women make judgments. This is the day when a hundred different other genders make their judgments of other people. It's the day of man's judgment, and it's about to come to a close. The day when God comes to judge the secrets of people, the secret motives of people, the reality of people. When the Lord comes and he brings to light the things that are in darkness, the things that are hidden beneath the slogans of evil human political movements that people kneel to, genuflect to, like they knelt to Baal in the times of Elijah. The secret motives of people who are afraid to voice their confession of Jesus Christ in his universally saving significance. God will bring all this to light. It's all coming up. There's nothing hidden that shall not be made fully manifest. You know what it says? So don't judge a thing until the Lord comes. Until the Lord comes. And he will bring to light the hidden motives that make people do what they do or make people don't do what they should do or do do what they shouldn't do. You don't know. You can't judge. 
I can't judge. God judges. Leave it up to God. There's so many people today that suffer under false burdens. There's real burdens. We can handle those. The worst kind of burden is a false burden. The worst kind of burden to hold in your mind is a lie. It's disinformation. The information of Jesus Christ is liberating. The gospel of Jesus Christ is freeing. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You got a burden that's too heavy to carry. It's not the one he put on you. Jesus, the Son of God, passed through the heavens. Hebrews 4.14. He didn't pass through the heavens to be exalted at the Father's right hand until he suffered, until he was tested in every point like you and I are, and yet without yielding to sin. He didn't pass through the heavens as our great high priest into the holiest place of all to sit down after finishing this work of salvation. He didn't pass through the heavens till he passed through hell, until he endured the suffering of our sins, until he became sin, until he became a curse. Jesus, the Son of God, passed through the heavens, Hebrews 4.14, following his death and his resurrection from the dead. Only then was he crowned with glory and honor. Well, that's it. I'm not going any further today. Because the spirit of burning is within me today. The word is in me like a fire and a furnace. Isaiah 4.4, Jeremiah 20, verses 7 and following. Our God is a consuming fire. He consumes me with his pathos, with his passion for his word, for his son, for his people, for his creation, for all people. So today was an exhortation. The Lord gives me no more to say. 